One of the things I love about our church is that our people are always so excited to be together. I mean, it's just something energizing to be together. I, I think sometimes we could actually not program anything. We may test this sometime. You know, I just think if we didn't have anything going on, you would still just be excited to be here. We might, you know, we might need to make more coffee that morning or something. But it's great to be with people who are excited and want to be together. And when we talk about generosity, there is a tendency to immediately move towards a thought of money. But generosity is a much bigger picture than money. And that's why today we talk about matters of the heart. Because, again, because we tend to naturally move and gravitate towards money when we talk about generosity, the reality is it's a heart issue more than it is a financial issue. Again, we want to gravitate towards budgets and accounting and how do we make this work. But the reality is generosity doesn't work unless your heart is in it. And one of the very first things the Apostle Paul says about generosity is he's talking to the church at Corinth about an offering they're going to take to help churches in Jerusalem. One of the very first things he says is that it needs to be enthusiastic Generosity as a condition of the heart needs to demonstrate enthusiasm. He describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, now concerning this ministry to the saints, which I find interesting, he doesn't even call it an offering. He doesn't even acknowledge the financial set of circumstances. He calls it a ministry to the people of God, to the, the saints. Saints are any individual who has trusted Christ and let God live in and through them. We watched Brooklyn get baptized this morning. We celebrated with us, with her. We don't always say this, but in that moment when Brooklyn made the decision to trust in Jesus, Brooklyn became a saint according to the teaching of Scripture. And so the matter of the heart, the enthusiasm that Paul is about to describe is because any time we do something generous, it just doesn't benefit the church financially. It just doesn't benefit the ministry financially. It touches and changes lives. And we can get excited about that. He says, it's unnecessary for me to write to you. Basically, he's saying, look, I, I don't need to remind you, but the reality is I am going to remind you. For I know your eagerness, and I boast about you to the Macedonians. Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Now, if we're just talking about money, that's a pretty impressive statement. I know your eagerness. Your zeal has stirred up most of them. Imagine that if you could, especially if you've been in church any length of time. Imagine having an offering that was so exciting that churches in another part of the world on a different continent would be excited about it. Most of us can't picture that. But yet we see it all the time in our church. We see it as you provide for things daily. We see it in Operation Christmas Child, which we've just entered into. Every year when we finish packing all those boxes, we line them up here on the stage so we can pray for them before we send them out with the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ, that message contained with those Christmas gifts to children, literally internationally. And every year the pile gets bigger and bigger 
and bigger. And I would say this year in November when we come to the conclusion of the drive for Operation Christmas Child, it'll be the biggest one we've ever had. Except we've been talking about money for two weeks now and we had the two lowest offerings the last two weeks we've had all year. The team may have to rethink doing this series. It gives us an opportunity to do something that blesses other people, ministers to other people. And we'll just roll straight out of Operation Christmas Child into international missions where we give, and we we have historically been, at least for the last 12 years, we have been in the top 1% of churches who give to the International Mission Fund, what we call in our denomination the Light and Moon Christmas Offering. Every year, we are in the top 1% per capita in terms of giving. That's out of 60,000 plus churches. Every year, you manage to come into the top capital, which what that basically means is you give more per person than 99% of the rest of the churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. And I get a certificate every year. (laughs) I love how pastors get credit, and then sometimes they get blamed. And so you, you can go both ways. But it demonstrates an enthusiasm. You know, we go into a new budget year in January and there's new ministries and new things on the, on the horizon and things we need to plan. It's made me extremely proud of our church. A lot of churches, this has been a horrible financial year for them. And we've had our difficult summer just like everybody else. But throughout all of COVID, when the early predictions were extremely dire because many churches had not accelerated and changed the way in which they received gifts. And they suddenly went from one Sunday where everybody got a plate passed in front of them and you were expected to give something and you pulled out at least a $1 bill so that nobody next to you thought you weren't giving even though you gave online earlier that week. So we always got your online gift plus $1 when we did it that way. But we had already transitioned to online. We had already transitioned to mail. We had already transitioned to drop boxes around the church. And throughout COVID, you remained generous. When everybody was afraid, when everybody was hoarding, when nobody had any clue what was going to happen, you continued to give to the ministry and we didn't have to lay off any staff during COVID. We had to change our programming radically and that caused a number of areas where there were expenses because we weren't prepared to do some of the things that we had to do. But this church did not crater financially during one of the most difficult times in the history of the church in the United States. Because we're enthusiastic, because our hearts are right. It isn't always about sitting down and calculating and looking and figuring out and trying to determine what the best budget plan is. There is a practical, strategic side to generosity, but there's a heart side. And that's what having generous hearts means. And then that will begin to apply in every other area because generosity expands in so many other areas. I'll be honest with you, the the most difficult area of my life to be generous is in terms of my time. I mean, we all know, we've all seen the cliches, we've all seen the memes, we've all seen all the things about how we have a limited amount of time. But when you have three people calling wanting the same space of time, you have to start making difficult decisions. And you have to do like Jesus and you have to actually understand sometimes you've got to go to the ranch. And so you have to modify your schedule. You You didn't know Jesus went to the ranch Yeah, when the crowd got a little too difficult, Jesus disappeared. 
Even the disciples didn't know where to find him, which is why we don't publish the phone number for the ranch. Sometimes you need to be alone. You have to set those boundaries. Generosity of time could potentially be more difficult for us than generosity of money or generosity of our skills and our talents. Right, right now, everything we're doing, whether, it is, whether it's what you've seen on stage this morning or what's up happening up in the booth in the platform or in the cafe with the coffee or across the street in your Bible study classes, basically everything that happened today happened because somebody made a decision to be generous with their skills. They took time out on top of their jobs to study and prepare a Bible study this morning. They took time out of their schedule to come early and make sure coffee was brewed and make sure things were set up in the cafe. And many of our Bible study classes have buffets every Sunday morning. Somebody got up early, cooked, and somebody brought up early, brought that food in, or somebody went by and picked up their donuts. We don't pay people to do that. We, we, our staff, actually, ironically, in our congregation, most of our staff are involved in some way on the platform on Sunday mornings, but they're not paid to do that. There are only two people that are essentially paid to, and forced to be here every week. And that's myself and Pastor Josh. Now, we will sometimes give some supplements and some gifts, essentially contract out to some of our instrumentalists because many of them drive from all over the city and Houston's a big place and we just want to bless them. We want it to be a ministry to saints as they come here specifically to help us. But Pastor Cody is on base this morning. Pastor Cody is not paid to be on base on Sunday mornings. He's paid to lead our students and he's paid to sort out the technical issues we had on live stream this morning. Pastor, Pastor Steve was on piano because Julie um, had surgery this past week. I'm so glad to see her and she's here and she's recovering and thankful for that, but that put Pastor Steve on piano. Not as a pastor, but as a volunteer. I'm not paying him this week to play piano. I pay him to do the really fun stuff. Every toilet you messed up this morning, every sink that started leaking, <laughs> and the utility bills that we've used up this morning, Pastor Steve will take care of. He'll make sure it gets taken care of. And he does it with enthusiasm because our hearts are in this. And so whether we're donating time or whether we're donating skills or whether we're donating money, it's because our hearts are excited about what God's doing. It's also because we have determination. In verse three, He explains how he's sending these brothers, he's sending members of his ministry team to that church, and and they've been talking about, he's been boasting about how good Corinth is gonna be on this offering. He's sending them there, and I love the phrase in the middle of verse three, or kind of towards the end of verse three, so that you would be ready, just as I said. He's been bragging about how generous this church is, and now it's going to come down to the moment where they're gonna actually make the gifts And that that bragging is going to be either proven false or proven true. But he's optimistic, and he believes that's going to happen. In verse 4, he says, If any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, worst case scenario, we, not to mention you, would be put to shame in that situation. But he's saying that, just like he said back up in verse 1, because he's confident that's not going to happen. Because he knows not only are they enthusiastic, but they are determined in their generosity. We live in a time when things are shifting. And, um, and, I, you know, and that's true to a certain extent in every period of history. It's just there are times when it happens faster. Most motivation for generosity today is emotional, <clears throat> not strategic. 
That's why if you go to a Christian concert, you're going to see some of the most emotionally driven videos encouraging you to participate in ministry. Because most givers today respond emotionally and they respond impulsively in the moment. Now, I don't have a problem with that. We, we've learned to adjust to the, the needs of multiple generations and the processing um, intellectually of decisions for all generations. We, we've learned, we're continuing to learn, and I'm okay with that. But there also comes a point when you have to make a decision and you have to be determined. We, we can do any number of things to prick the emotional side of your heart so you walk out of here saying, you know, I want to be generous this week. But that will be tested tomorrow morning when you make a decision about how you're gonna live your day, how you're gonna live out your sculpture, your, your schedule, how you're gonna live out what you do in school this week and who you're gonna give time to or what you're gonna give money to. And, and the greater the limitation on those resources, the harder that decision is going to be. Now, ironically, it'll seem contrary in the thought process. The greater the resources, the harder the, and more difficult it's going to be to make those decisions because you'll have more demands for it. Paul said they're determined. He knows they're doing this. He knows they're ready. He knows they're gonna follow through. It's an issue of open hearts. Look at verse five. Therefore, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance the general gift, the actual literal word there in the the Greek that the New Testament is written in is the blessing. It is the blessing that you have promised so that it will be ready as a gift and not an extortion. Paul didn't want to extort the money out of Corinth. And I'll let you in on this. We don't want to extort the money. That's why most pastors refuse to talk about these issues. Because we don't want to come across as extorting. We don't want, I mean, I, I can honestly say I have no desire for anybody to leave out of this room or to click off a live stream this morning and say to themselves, I feel so guilty. I need to do something for the church. I don't want anybody to feel that way. Now, if, if God convicts somebody, which is different than guilt, and we'll have to take another time to deal with that and, and talk about that, there's a difference between conviction and there's a difference between guilt. Guilt is of Satan. It is what the devil wants to do to bog you down so you never make a decision so that I never take action because I feel too guilty to even make a decision or to do something. Conviction is a much more redemptive experience emotionally because it's the Holy Spirit saying, this is something that you should do, this is something that you're going to do, and this is something I'm going to enable you to do. It has a redemptive end to it because it makes us better people when we respond to the conviction. It makes us draw closer to him. And that's why this generous gift can be a blessing. And that's why it can be a gift, not an extortion. Because our hearts are open. It's a matter of the heart again. If we have open hearts, if we have generous hearts, then we want to do something. We want to be able to give our time. I mean, take our Bible study teachers again, for example. These people put in a ton of time every week. And they're here for you every week. And I understand that because I prepare a message every week. I recently talked to a pastor friend of mine who retired just before COVID, a really good timing on his part. And, uh, and I asked him about it and he said, you know, the best part is I don't have to prepare a new message every single week. 
Sundays, I don't know if y'all notice this, Sundays just keep coming. <laughs> Which, Pastor Josh, if we do a Sunday where we don't program anything, everybody just shows up and gets to hang out, then we don't necessarily have to prepare. <laughs> I, know, I know how that works, so we'll end up preparing something. Um, you get exhausted. You get tired. But you want to do it. I, I wanted to come to church this morning. I wanted to be with you. I thought about it last night when I was praying, when as soon as I woke up, I thought, I'm gonna see this person, I'm gonna see this person. I'm looking forward to watching Brooklyn get baptized and I'm looking forward to this interaction and we've got this taking place and, and we, you know, and I knew. I, I knew the conversation. I knew the conversation with staff this morning. I knew the conversation with worship teams this morning. I knew the conversation with greeters. I knew it was going to be exciting and I wanted to be there. Because God changes my heart. And God has given me a desire that opens my heart, even if it costs me something. And again, it may cost you more than money, but you're giving and you're responding because we have generous hearts. And there is a sense of expectation. In verse six, Paul reverts to basically verses in the, in the book of Proverbs and, and a very proverbial train of thought that was common in an agrarian society. He simply says, the point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. There's two sides of that equation and it's, it's actually relatively simple. If you go to the feed store and you pick up a sack of grain that you're planning on on planting and harvesting, and you are in the process of making those arrangements, you've tilled the soil as these agricultural people would have done and the farmers of that time would have done, you've prepared the soil, you've fertilized the soil, you've got everything ready, you've got the irrigation in place, and in the process of casting the seed, in the process of putting out the seed, you make the decision, hey, I don't know if I'm going to have enough seed for next spring's planting. So I'm only going to plant half the sack and I'm going to put the sack back in my barn and I'm going to hold on to it just in case there's not enough seed to go around next spring. The math is real simple. You planted half a bag, you can expect half a harvest. I mean, it's as simple as that. And the reality is, this is what changes our lives and helps us. The reality is, doing more would have created potentially a surplus for the following spring. Because if you had planted the entire sack, if you, if you had put out all the seed, then your reasonable expectation is that all the harvest will be there and then you'll have surplus available for the following spring planting. And Paul says, because, and I think the foundation of this is in chapter eight, which we've already studied, Paul's already cleared with Corinth that the foundation of all this is that God is the provider. It's never ours in the first place. Psalms 24, the Lord is the provider of all things because he is the owner of all things and anything we have is a gift from him. And you cannot go wrong with being generous because he is, literally as scripture describes him, the Lord of the harvest. He's over that. And yes, there are tragic moments in every life that make, make generosity difficult. But the basic principle is if you do less, you can expect less. If we do less on Operation Christmas Child, then we can expect that there'll be less impact and there'll be less lives touched. If we do less on 
our international mission offering, then we can expect that there's less missionaries in the field and there's less activities happening that help people in every aspect of their life from hospitals to schooling and education to the actual missionary work of church planting and seeing those people come to know Christ. We can expect less. If we do less in our own context, then we can expect to have programs that can't be financed, things that won't be able to take place, and lives that won't be touched locally as well. It's an easy principle. If you do less, you might as well expect less. But of course, Paul's thrust of his thought is, why live that way? If you're enthusiastic, if you're determined, if your heart's open to be generous, then why would you live expecting a shortfall? When everything we know about God is that he'll provide for us and that our interaction with him in the generous process, whether it's my skills, whether it's my time, or it's my money, can expect a harvest that is bountiful and able to accomplish more now and actually enables us to accomplish more in the future. Which creates my favorite part, which is gonna get the least amount of attention, but I think it's because you already understand it. It's a generous heart is a joyous heart. Each person, verse seven, 2 Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven, each person should do as he has decided in his heart. Not what I've decided for you. I can't make that decision for anybody else. I decided for my own family. My wife and I talk about it. We just sat down last week and and examined some of our finances and and we looked and said, okay, we can do this for this ministry. We can do this for this ministry. We've made made some of those strategic accounting and financial decisions just last week because it's an ongoing process for us. Why do we do that? Because the end result of making this decision in your heart and not doing it reluctantly or by compulsion is joy. Because God loves a joyful giver. You probably ought to underline this one. God loves a cheerful, joyful giver. We don't do this because we want to get more love of God or because we want to earn salvation. We do this because we've trusted in Jesus. He's forgiven our sins. He's secured our eternity. The truth is there's no way we can go wrong. And we interact more with him, which just simply makes us happier, joyous people. You don't spend more time with a parent because you want more of their love The reality is, as you spend more time with a parent, you experience more of them, you know them better, they know you better, and it creates more joy. God loves a cheerful giver, not because we're trying to earn some kind of rank or status with God, but because just being with him, just being with him makes life more meaningful. One of our deacons was talking to me before the service, Hannah. He and his wife were together and they were talking. And, um, and I forget the exact words that they used to describe it. She had had some health issues recently. And, and, and um, I'd asked about the weekend and what they had done over the weekend. And, and um, her response was, well, no, my husband wanted me home where he could keep an eye on me. I understood that she was talking about because of some of the health concerns. But I also understood a general principle involved there. It's just nice to be with the people you love. And I thought about, I'm gonna put my wife on some kind of watch like that, where she has to stay home and be with me. Not because I want her to love me or not because I'm trying to earn her love, but because I enjoy her love. 
I don't know what it takes to get this through our hearts when it comes to generosity. We don't give, whether it's an individual, myself, my wife, my children, my friends, we don't give because we're trying to earn God's love. We're giving and we're generous because we enjoy God's love. And God enjoys us when we're happy like that. God loves us. In fact, he gave the most generous gift. I've said this in every message and I'm going to. He gave the most generous gift ever given in the history of the world when he said, I'll send my son. For God so loves the world that he gives his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God enjoys our generous hearts, which makes us joyous.